Alchemy refers to the process of something of less value changing into something of greater value. Susquehanna Alchemy is the name of a series of programs and services that facilitate interchange or transformation. Tools to assist in accessing deeper parts of ourself. The cumulative effect of these experiences is a cleansing, softening, and expansion of the inner world. Space is created, and it is in this space that the transformation will naturally occur. Susquehanna Alchemy uses art and symbols. The practice leads to greater stability, awareness, intuition, and creativity. The Susquehanna Alchemy process is recognizing our place at this point of time in history and how it connects to the past and the unfolding collective future. In this modern era, technology is the driving factor behind everything happening on Earth, either directly or indirectly. Technology itself is changing rapidly, but it is changing us rapidly as well. The course which technology is on is as dangerous as it is promising. And all of us who are alive now are intimately connected to the outcome. As an individual becomes more conscious, more aware of how their personal journey impacts the global journey, the dynamic begins to change. No longer do global trends drive the individual experience, but the individual experience begins to impact global trends. Quite literally, as we change inside, we affect change in the outer world. This has always been true, but during this time of global transformation, it becomes the responsibility of the conscious person to actively encourage their own personal transformation, even if only to contribute to the collective unfolding that is taking place. All right, this one's going to be a strange one. Typically, um, when I like to share information, I, uh, in recognizing that a lot of the ideas are new, that I try to make it as um, palatable as possible. And so I try to only share information which I feel strongly that I can demonstrate at least where it's coming from, where the logic is coming from. And so a lot of things which maybe I, uh, I'm open to or maybe believe but can't quite prove, like I keep that stuff to myself. Uh, and so this is going to go <clears throat> a little bit further out than I normally, um, I, normally, I normally make videos or talk about. But uh, it's gotten to the point where, um, where the evidence or the information 
uh, is really, really solid. And so what this is, is it's pointing, um, it's pulling together uh, the John Smith map of Virginia, Chickie's Rock, the Susquehannocks, and Sasquatch. Um, and uh, it all began here. It all began on Chickie's Rock about two months ago, and I've talked about this quite a few times, and I've posted about it, about the falling of this stone. It fell from this part of Chickie's Rock. It probably filled up, maybe not all the way down to here, but this whole space, and it fell and it broke. You can get an idea of how big it is. That person's probably six feet tall, and that's wider than, than he is tall. Six feet uh, this section is at least six feet, and you can see it broke. These, um, I don't believe, were part of it. But all of this and the, and the carnage around it came from this fall, which is probably, you know, maybe 35 feet up, maybe three stories. And the first thing I need to point out is, like, where Chickies is located. It is right in the heart of, of the, Susque <coughs> the Susquehanna River and 40th Parallel um, uh, location and, and if you've seen the other videos well then you'd know how significant that is so this right here is High Point Scenic Vista which is all I'm always talking about this is exactly the 40th parallel here's the Susquehanna River and where it makes this 90 degree turn right here on the eastern side this is Chickie's Rock and it's visually striking it is very strategic because from this point, you can see upstream. If you're downstream, you can't see around this corner. You don't know what's going down. This is significant no matter how you want to look at it, geologically, strategically. Um, uh, and so we'll also see that it, it also has some really strange, like, spiritual slash mystical qualities. But let's go on with the, with the, the pictures. So this is the rock here. You can see it a little bit bigger. And what all of the, the, the fuss is about is that when this fell, and this fell like two months ago, this fell in Mar the early March 2019, it landed like this. And here's another angle at it. So I want you to see this. This huge stone, it's on the ground right here, and it fell it fell from here. So imagine, it falls down, shatters into all these pieces, total chaos, and it lands like that. This stone is well over, it's at least a ton, if not two tons. And this stone here is, is so small and so thin. Um, I would liken it to imagine if you were on the roof of a of a two-story home with a queen-size mattress and a tray from a cafeteria and you throw them off at the same time and then they land like this with the cafeteria tray supporting the mattress like you know it happened but how did it happen? What is the likelihood of it happening? And my initial thought as soon as I saw it I knew it was incredibly 
um, extraordinary. And my, my, in, my inner thoughts were always like something did this, but I don't want to come out and say that because that's just a feeling. So I'm going to go and Occam's razor it and just assume the most natural or the most likely, which is, you know, this is just how it naturally fell. Um, but as we get into all of this other evidence, um, you know, it certainly seems like, you know, <laughs> there's some, uh, there's some other players in this game, or at least that idea is on the table. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. Um, so Chicky's Rock is known for being just a a a a odd spiritual place. I mean, I just took a couple screenshots from a search of Chicky Rock, Chicky's Rock and Go and Ghosts. And Chicky's is spelled two ways. It's pronounced this way, but it's also spelled with the Q U E S. But here's one that's just is titled Vortex of Weirdness. And here's another one. This is Chicky's Rock in the Supernatural. Here's another one. This is from the Sasquatch Chronicles blog. And they're talking about, um, you know, one, there's a legend, uh, a local legend living in Chicky's Rock are these small um, Sasquatch-like creatures, maybe about four feet tall, and they're known as Albatwitches. And that's a, a Pennsylvania Dutch or, or kind of Amish legend. But the the story of the weirdness of the area extends way beyond that and here we see uh chickies where the creature supposedly lived talking about the albatwitches does have a tradition of strange sights and sounds in the 50s and 70s a man-like figure was seen several times in local legends speak of sounds like the crack of a whip heard in woods at night and then uh this continues this is a comment <clears throat> to this article and uh, Timothy R. says, I wouldn't call Chickie's Rock heavily wooded, though. It's a weird place. Tons of ghost stories, shadow people, etc. associated with the area. Even a recent Bigfoot encounter. And this was written a couple years ago. And so the, the gentleman who, um, who made that post is also the host of a podcast called Strange Familiars, stories and interviews about the paranormal, cryptids, forgotten history, folklore, and more. And I've met him once. I don't know him particularly well, and we've talked about me go, coming on a show, but I never have. I would love to go on a show um, and talk about this, to be quite honest. But he, Tim, lives in the area. So he lives in this Chickies Rock general area, as do I. Um, and he's done, uh, he's done, um, an episode or past episodes about this, this flannel man, this character who many, many people, uh, not just locally, but across, um, I think even I heard across the, uh, uh, you know, the globe, like people keep, have seen this character of, um, this large man with the red shirt and the uh, the eyes. I don't know what color hair it is. Um, but uh, Tim, who's written a couple books, 
is referring to it as astral Sasquatch, which manifests in different sort of um, in different sort of uh, uh, manifestations. And you know, this this lumberjack being one of them. And so the reason I'm sharing this is just kind of to loosen up thoughts. Like I don't know, this is all new to me. I'm not Sasquatch. Really, isn't like my hot button. Um, but this is where things are kind of pointing, and so I follow, I follow the clues. Um, so now let's go bring this back to the John Smith map of Virginia. And I'm beginning to recognize that, um, and it only makes sense, that there's so much information which is encoded into this. I mean, I've talked about this in past videos, specifically as it relates to the 40th parallel and the Susquehanna River, and I've talked a lot about the Susquehannock and I've talked a little bit about this image here, but my guess is there's a whole bunch of information. And so just the, a real quick um, uh, pedigree of this map, it's, it's accredited to John Smith, who was the founder or, or the first president of Jamestown Colony. Maybe he wasn't the first president, I think he was the second president, but he was a leader. He was the leader of the Jamestown Colony. And his story reads just like mythology. But Jamestown um, was the first colony in the British Empire. This is where it began, and then this also became the British colony. So we can also say this is where the United States began, right here. And the, the, the funding to pay for John Smith and all the other guys who came over came from a company called the Virginia Company of London. And the the um, sitting on the chair on the board of directors or the executive council was Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon is the guy behind it all. And um, he played a very significant role in uh, modern Freemasonry in terms of setting up the structure. And he also played um, a very significant role within the Rosicrucian movement. In fact, he is uh, estimated to have been the Grand Master. And so within Rosicrucian um, uh, technique or modus operandi, it would be very, very common, um, and this happened many times, with, with works that came through Francis Bacon. They were accredited to other individuals, and often within those works that are accredited to those individuals, there are hidden messages. Um, and I'm suggesting this is just one in, the, one in that continuation. Probably the best known example is Francis Bacon as the true author of the works of Shakespeare. But we want to focus in here on this character. And, and arguably it is the most significant. What's being communicated is like this is the most significant thing. This is where you want to pay attention. And the reason I say that is because it's the most visually striking. Um, arguably this is about the Chesapeake Bay. Um, that's what this is. Here's the Chesapeake Bay. Um, north is to the right as opposed to the top. But this is this is dark. You can't really there's so much detail you really can't make this out. And this image here is significant as well. I would say all of this is significant. Everything is significant. But this one here is the most visually um, dominant. You can see it most clearly. It's largest. This is what is, you know, the um, probably the primary messages lie within this character. And today we're going to focus with 
are focused upon what is written at the foot of this, this character, this Susquehannock warrior. And it says, the Susquehannas are a giant-like people and thus attired. You can see it. I spelled it out exactly as it's um, written up here. And one of the common techniques within um, within the steganography practiced by Bacon and, and the Rosicrucians and the likes is that when there would be words and they're split up like this, uh, they're codes, and this is to give you information. And so what code it would be would vary. I mean, the letters themselves could be codes, how they're split up, um, all sorts of different things. So my guess is there is a lot of information in here, and I'm just going to focus upon what speaks to me. And, well, actually, this is what speaks to most people. It's the fact that it says giant-like, you know. Is he saying that these are giants? And it's, it's interesting because it's not they are a giant. They're giant-like. Um, and so I just want to point out right here that there is a, a connection between the Susquehannock warrior. And in a previous video, I talked about the Susquehanna as a goddess, and that was about the river. And now I think we're talking a little bit more about, about the Susquehanna warrior as, as, in, as like a, a being, a physical being, um, probably more of the yang expression. And you have to be both flexible with your thought in terms of, um, you know, does it mean a river? Is this that? It, it can mean all of these things. But then when you zero in on, on the interpretation, that's when you get really focused and you, and, and you, get, you, you get high, um, uh, a lack of flexibility. You know, you want to be, be specific. So um, I want to point in right here or connect right here uh, the word Nephilim. And Nephilim being the uh, um, the giants of the Bible who are often linked to the fallen angels. And if you're familiar with the book of Enoch and Genesis, that's where most of um, most of uh, references to the Nephilim come from. That the book of Enoch is not in uh, the Bible. Um, and the Nephilim, there are a couple different definitions, but they're often associated with giants and spiritual beings, either direct spiritual beings, watchers, or the, the offspring of spiritual beings and um, human women. But we also see that this warrior is dressed in Freemasonic attire. So um, we know that we, this is a picture of George Washington in Freemasonic attire. The primary um, markers are the apron and then the collar and the jewel. Here we see an apron with a fold over and fringes. Here we see an apron with a fold over and fringes. Here we see a collar and jewel and a collar and jewel. <clears throat> and this ties directly back to, to the establishment of, of modern masonry. So it's, it's yeah, of course, this is, this is masonry too. So there's so much symbology in this. And... We're going to go into looking at another part of the map. So here's our map here. This is the Chesapeake Bay, and up here is the Susquehanna River, and here's the Susquehanna Warrior. They're, they're next to each other. They're connected. And this is a blow-up of where the bay here transitions into the river. You can see it says Susquehanna Flu right there. That's the Susquehanna River. And I circled this area. We can identify where this is looking at a modern map. So we see there is a tributary 
coming in right here, and then you go further up, and then you see a bigger one. And this is what the Susquehanna looks like. This is the large tributary uh, where the uh, west branch and the north branch meet. And then we have this other tributary right here. The, uh, this is the confluence, and this is sort of the confluence of this tributary. And this is the Junidiata River. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, we could look at a modern map. Um, here's that river, the, the Juniata, and it's coming into the, the Susquehanna right here. This here is the Susquehanna, it's not labeled, and this is the Juniata. And then to the right of it is the Fort Indian Town Gap. And so we come back here and we see to the right of the Juniata is, it's labeled Susquehanna, and there's a longhouse. And throughout this map, it's all of the different, um, all of the different tribes are labeled and different houses are given to them and they're these X's. And on one level that was probably accurate, but I'm also suggesting that there are deeper levels of information being communicated. And we know that the Susquehanna warrior is very, very significant because of its, 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 um, its, its prominence in the map. And so when we see the one location where their their living quarters is labeled we we can go and say that's significant i'm also going to suggest this x here is is high point it's pointing out high point now the on a side note so on the 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 mainstream understanding or the or the uh, the 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 story which is told if you were to go and research this on on wikipedia is it's it's explained that the X's mark as far as John Smith explored and saw with his own eyes and everything beyond these X's are, was um, conveyed to him by scouts, by, by other people. And supposedly where each one of these X's are placed into that um, soil was a large cross which probably had um, uh, you know, the King of England seal on it or something like that. But none of, those, none of those artifacts have ever been found, and I think there's like 50 of them on this map. So maybe those X's on the map mean something else. But anyway, so we see here that the Susquehannocks are located here to the right on the eastern side, a little bit north of, um, of this confluence. And so we want to take this literally, but maybe not you know, too literally, and we see in real life, we see Fort Indian Town Gap. We see a whole bunch of stuff, but Fort Indian Town Gap is really what is calling my, uh, called my attention. And so Fort Indian Town Gap is a, um, it's a U.S. Army post, and it goes back, or it was established in 1755, and what happened was the, the military basically took over where the Susquehannocks were, were um, they've been cultivating that land. So it confirms like, yeah, this is, this is the location of what this is talking about because yes, they live there. And so if you can just to get an idea of what the gap is, if this is Pennsylvania, we're looking at it from satellite and you can see these lines going across. These are mountain ranges. And so if you were living here, 
And this was a very, very populated area um, prior to the colonization with like, you know, these great, well-established um, uh, cultures. And they had, you know, more or less highways and to their the sacred areas. And one of the most important was the confluence right here of... Um, of these rivers and so people would live here and they would want to go up that way and you could see you got to cross over these mountains but there are these gaps you see this gap it goes down right here so if you're you can come up you don't have to go up and over you go through and so that kind of sets the path and this was a significant this was a significant location to many of the peoples there primarily the Susquehannocks and in 1755 um, the military took it over and there's a you know there's a long tradition of the military of catholic churches of walmarts being built upon the sacred sites of the people who lived prior to the um you know the invasion i suppose you could call it so okay remember we said that fort indian town gap is in um lebanon county pennsylvania and this is interesting um uh, because, you know, all of the other counties in the area are English in their name. Um, but this is named Lebanon. And Lebanon's interesting because in Lebanon is where we find the city Tyre. And Tyre is an ancient Phoenician city. It was the dominant city in the Phoenician Empire. It's, 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 historically and biblically significant and it is also plays a key a key um role in the um the the mythology within freemasonry in freemasonry um the central character of it of an allegory presented to all candidates during the third degree is is the uh um deals with hiram abiff and Hiram Abiff was the architect that built King Solomon's temple. And he was the best architect of the land of Tyre. And he was sent by Hiram, the king of Tyre. So now we've got two Hirams from Tyre to go and design and oversee the building of King Solomon's temple, which is what all Masonic lodges are uh, um, metaphorical representations of. So now let's go back to our coded message. And remember, it says, the Susquehannas are giant-like people and thus attired. And if you think about that on a very, very like literal sense, if you want to take that as like the most literal meaning, like there's no sort of like secret messages being passed on, what it's going to say is like the Susquehannas are giant-like people. So they're very big and thus attired. They dress like big people. You know, why would you say that? It doesn't make any sense. This map is all about conveying information. So it would say, it would, it, if it were to be looked at on the, on the, on the up and up, if you will, it would, it would not say this kind of ridiculousness. And what it's saying is it's, it's connecting a Masonically dressed individual with the word tire. And Tyre is the founding location of masonry. So we're seeing that there is a significance between um, the Susquehannock, masonry, 
Tyre, Ford Indian Town Gap, Giants. We're going to keep on going with this. So now I want to go back. I want to. I want to look at or bring up something which is said about Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon is is who seemingly who makes the most sense to me is the the true author or designer behind the map. Um, John Smith returned to England at like in 1611, and I think the map was was published in 1612, and he most likely met. He gave his drawings, his sketches to, to, to Bacon. And then a year and a half later is when the, the map was released and embedded within it is all sorts of information. The same thing happened with uh, Bacon when he was the final editor of the King James Bible. He received all of the different versions, all the different chapters from the different editors, and then he compiled it and he put his touches on it. So this is what we're seeing the same thing again. And so this is a quote about of Bacon from The Secret Teachings of All Ages. It says, Bacon knew the true secret of Masonic origin, <clears throat> and there is reason to suspect he concealed this knowledge in cipher and cryptogram. And I think that's exactly what we're looking at. We're seeing, and this was not written about the map. This was like a general statement written about Francis Bacon. Um, and we see the Masonic. We see the Masonic over and over again. And, and we're seeing that this location is tied to the beginning of Freemasonry, right? You know, it's, it's this guy is standing in Tyre, and Tyre is the, is the location of where it began. You know, whether it's saying that this is the metaphorical or the liter of, of the next beginning, or maybe this was the previous beginning which is a very interesting idea when you take in consideration what some of the Mayan legends say. But we just want to hold this as like, you know, we're, we're, we're gathering information. We're gathering information. So, all right, back to Lebanon County. Lebanon was formed in 1813 from parts of Dauphin and Lancaster County. Lancaster was named after Lancashire. It is the Maybe it is Lancaster. I don't know. They may be two different. But it is the, the Red Rose City. It resonates directly with the city in a very significant city within England. Then Dolphin is named after um, the son of the last king of France. And now we got Lebanon. And Lebanon is connecting, is resonating. They're resonating the land with certain places, certain energies, certain histories. And this is resonating with that. With, with Lebanon, with Tyre. Okay. So it says, Palatine Germans from New York were the first large group first arriving in 1732. Conrad Weiser became their leader. Who's Conrad Weiser? This is from something else. And so here we see it's talking about the effort of Cloister. And so I recommend seeing Mystic Lancaster Part 1 because that talks all about the Rosicrucians coming to this area and building their, their first... Um, permanent location. That's what Africa Cloister was. But here we're seeing in a in in a um, information about the cloister. It says some of the other Rosicrucian members talking about the cloister members, including Conrad Weiser. So Lebanon County, the first real large group that was established there, was led by a Rosicrucian. So the Rosicrucians are coming to this area. And they're coming to Lebanon. Maybe not exactly um, Fort Indian Town Gap, but in that county. All right.
So let's switch gears a little bit. Now this is a little bit more on the on the uh, synchro mystic mystical level, but we're looking at all the different levels, and that's really where I, where um, at least my interest always lies is the deeper levels. I think that the everything we just talked about are clues to something deeper, and these coincidences I think are the strongest resonators. So there was an infam an infamous nineteenth century murder in. Fort Indian Town Gap, ding, 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 that's our town we're talking about, <clears throat> resulting in the trial of six defendants who all had blue eyes. They became known as the Blue-Eyed Six, given the moniker by a newspaper reporter who was attending the trial. Their murder trial, held in a courthouse in Lebanon, received worldwide publicity. So that just has three words, has worldwide publicity. But if you do a little bit of research, like this was a huge story, like which was picked up like in whatever the, 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 the international news circuitry of the time, whether that was, you know, whatever that version of the AP, this story was picked up and all eyes and concentration were kind of like follow, following this, this crazy story of the blue-eyed six. And so then this inspired Arthur Conan Doyle. So this is the guy who wrote all of the, uh, um, the Sherlock Holmes books into, uh, while he was writing The Red-Headed League. And so what we're seeing right now is, a, is a, a resonance which is happening on a strong level because it's like worldwide level and Arthur Conan Doyle had an influence on a wide scale. And it connects this idea of blue-eyed, we've got red-headed, and we've got Lebanon PA, and we've got them all connected. Um, we just want to hold it at that level right now. Um, and I, here we see uh, um, one other thing about Car uh, uh, Conan Doyle. So there was a movie out recently about Harry Houdini. And there was a character who was very, very interested in, in mysticism in that movie and followed him around and thought that Houdini contained special powers. And that was based upon Conan Doyle. We'll get into that in a moment. But here's a, uh, here's a, 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 a screenshot from the book. And it says, on the account of the bequest of the late Ezeka Hopkins of Lebanon, PA. So it's called out by name in, in this book. And going into, as I said before, uh, Conan Doyle was, he was a very mystical guy and he was interested in spiritualism and theosophy. And that's a big one because we keep on running into theosophy along this, this river. Um, or at least individuals very connected with the, uh, the Theosophical Society, and then also many things that are significant uh, symbols to, to within the Theosophical perspective. Um, we also know that, um, that Doyle was a Freemason, uh, and it looks like he probably... Um, was initiated right around the same time as, um, as the book, but I don't know that for certain, or as the, as, yes, as the book was written. And so now, you know, we're bringing up red hair, we bring up blue eyes, and we talked about Nephilim and giants before, and that is a, you know, if, if, if you're familiar with these kind of topics, you know, like these red-haired giants that are connected to the Nephilim, like, 
albeit like kind of like a fringe type of 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 area of of knowledge or research it exists and so now we're seeing these same sort of symbols showing themselves on like the deeper level of of the structure of reality um i also found this interesting the 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 um the culprit in the sherlock holmes story of um the redheaded league his name was spalding and if you've seen the video uh, of um, the, the significance between the Susquehanna River and the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is located at the source of the river, um, the person responsible for that happening was Albert Spalding. And who is Albert Spalding? But he was a prominent member of the Theosophical Society. Um, Maybe this is wink, wink, nod, nod. Maybe it's just all coincidence, but it's existing. So let's keep on going on. Now, here's an article I found. Um, it's done a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but just the fact that it's being suggested uh, captured my attention. This is from Ohio University, and it's Sasquatch DNA, a red-haired sister to humans. So again, now we're linking red hair again to Sasquatch. And I'm, and I'm not even mentioning the fact that Sasquatch and Susquehanna even sound alike, but, you know, that's, that should be evident. So now we're going to go into another level. So, so the Fort Indian Town Gap, you do a search on like UFOs. It's not, you know, let's say a hotbed of UFO activity. It's not known like, uh, what is it? Is it the... Uh, uh, E-C-E-T-I Ranch in Oregon. You know, that's like a, you go there to see uh, all of the UFOs. I don't think this area has that reputation, but it certainly has um, a considerable amount of um, sightings over the years. And there seems to be a correlation between UFOs, Bigfoot, and particularly this idea of Bigfoot being some sort of interdimensional alien, like not necessarily like a, 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 a humanoid-like three-dimensional creature, but something of, which is able to go in and out of, um, of our reality. Now, I'm not saying that's the truth. I'm just saying these are the ideas that are out there. And I'm looking at the evidence which is presenting itself. And I'm like, is this what we're witnessing? So <clears throat> that, that, is, that is the perspective I'm coming from. And so I want to go back to this quote. Francis Bacon knew the true Masonic origin. And there's reason to suspect he concealed this knowledge in cipher and cryptogram. So it said that he knew it. This is written in, I want to say, 1928 when this came out. This book is filled with all of this Masonic information. Uh, the author, mainly P. Haw himself, was a, a, a commemorative 33-degree Mason. Um, he's not saying that Francis Bacon told everyone the, Masonic, the true secret of Masonic origin. He's just saying he knew it. So... If you take this as Hall wrote it, he's saying, like, what is being presented as the secret of Masonic origin? No, that's not the true secret. There's a true secret. And we think that Bacon knew it, and he's hiding it, you know. <laughs> is this the true secret? I don't know. But, you know, we're investigating. We're open to all possibilities. So now let's go and, and do a little bit of linking to... Um, 
masonry and uh, the Nephilim and the giants. So uh, Tubal Cain is a significant um, is a significant character or or um, two words. I'm just going to call them words because I'm not certain what they they represent. I'm not a mason. Um, but one thing it's used for is it's it's a secret password for one of their um, for one of their rituals, and this symbol of two balls and a cane. You know, it's been it's 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 been uh, linked to the Facebook logo. At it's been linked to uh, <coughs> John D and his 007, um, This two ball cane. This two ball cane. So. This is a name from the Bible, but then it's also being represented literally like two balls and a cane. And that also could be a symbol of um, the, uh, the, the glasses, which, which upper class society in Victorian and Elizabethan times would, would hold up to, to see something in, um, up close. But, you know, it's incredibly phallic as well. So it's, everything has multiple meanings. So who is Tubal Cain? Tubal Cain, son, uh, and he is, I believe he's like the seventh generation son of Cain from Cain and Abel. So Cain was the bad one. And so this is seven generations later. And he was the son of Zillah, exceeding all other men in strength and excelled in martial arts, foreshadowing the characteristics of the Nephilim. So they're linking. Tubal Cain is a, is, is is connected to the same characteristics as the Nephilim, the giants, the the whatever they may be. Josephus noted Tubal Cain as procuring the pleasures of the body through his natural attributes, again foreshadowing another characteristic of the Nephilim. So we're we're tying in Nephilim to Tubal Cain. No doubt Tubal Cain also inherited and embellished all the sins and corruptions of his forefather Cain as witnessed by his name. Josephus then credits Tubal Cain with inventing the art of manufacturing brass. Nelson's Bible Dictionary defines Cain as meaning a metal worker, thereby attributing Tubal, Tubal to being the first name and Cain denoting his expertise. So we see that Tubal Cain is a symbol, a resonator of, of this Nephilim. Now this is this came from a book called the Genesis the Genesis Six Conspiracy, and I don't personally subscribe to all of the um, to everything which that author or, or the perspective of reality and or understanding of reality which this author holds, but I find uh, him particularly and very well versed within. Um, the details of the Bible. And my personal opinion is I don't know what the Bible is. All I know is it has had an amazing influence on life on earth. And other than that, I'm open to all possibilities, but that's, you know, that's my personal opinion. So what we're seeing here, you know, to kind of recap is all of this, 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 <clears throat> this Nephilim, Freemasonic, giant, Susquehannock symbology pointing to 
a very specific location. We see it in Fort in the in in the Fort Indian Town Gap, but we're also seeing these symbols down at Chickie's Rock. So let's take a look at this again with all of that information. This is the rock. Look how thin it is right there. Probably its widest point is about three inches versus the stone it's supporting, which is probably at its widest point, 15 to 18 inches thick. Look how these stones are stacked behind it. They're supporting it. Look behind it. There's nothing behind it. Did it fall and land like this? How did this not shatter? Look how thin that is. Look how big this stone is. Did humans lift that? Where would they put the jacks right there? Why would that make any sense? How would they do that? <laughs> I don't know what's happening, but right now I'm open to a lot of different possibilities. And so I want to conclude this with uh, an email. So as I indicated, the, the Sasquatch stuff is kind of new to me. And so when I first was interested in this as an idea, I reached out to, um, I, I did some research and I found the, the Pennsylvania Society of Bigfoot um, investigators. And I sent the man who runs that website, I sent him an email. I described the situation, sent some pictures. And he wrote back to me and he was like, no, that's not Bigfoot. He said, um, Bigfoot, um, Bigfoot normally uses smaller stones. And he said, I've never heard of large boulders being used. Not sure why they would use one that big to mark something. Why would they waste that lifting and that energy lifting a thousand pounds when they could easily mark a spot with smaller stones? And, um, you know, a couple things. Like, I, I'm open to the idea of, of Bigfoot being maybe a little bit more, uh, if Bigfoot exists, maybe having like a little bit more power than just being like a, a, a humanoid um, in a physical body, like maybe access to, um, because he has another understanding of this dimension, maybe would be able to work with it on a different level, or maybe he's just that strong. Regardless, That question is interesting. Why would they waste the energy lifting the, the thousand pounds when they could do it with smaller stones? My contention is, is because they want to make this communication um, obvious. They want to make it so it can't be missed. <laughs> 